All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another action-packed, high-caliber, kick-tushy episode here of the Crypto 101 Podcast. It's your host, Bryce Paul, and joined, as always, by my notorious co-host and compadre, Mr. Aaron Pizza Mind Malone. Pete's, what's going on in your corner of the world, brother? Are you surviving the, the absolute storm and chaos of this, dare I say, bear market? I'm absolutely devastated, to be very frank and honest. Um, Luna was one of my bigger bags. And um, as things were falling, I had a lot of confidence that this was going to be one of those dip buying moments. Uh, of a lifetime like March 2020 was. And uh, I did really, really well by buying into that fear at the bottom and uh, just gave it all back to the market. So I'm really devastated. You know, if I can't trust Do Kwan, one of the smartest guys in the room to get things right uh, and not build a house of cards, you know, what token can I trust in this space, Bryce? Well, that's a great question. It's, it's, it's a completely different animal, right? Like Luna and UST was this uncollateralized algorithmic system that was completely novel and experimental, but we're bringing on a, a gentleman of a different class, a different caliber, um, who's building a system that is just completely, um, you know, what I like to call real world assets, collateralized real world lending. And without further ado, I'd like to bring on Raphael Cosman of Trust Token, uh, CEO and founder. So, so Raphael, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Bryce. Good to be on. Yeah, no, there, there was a, a lot of chaos in, in the, the ecosystem. How are you guys processing it just from a high level over the course of the last couple of weeks? You know, what, what is your main takeaway here? Well, look, we're taking it really well. You know, our company Trust Token has always from the beginning tried to do things that are on really solid footing in some ways, a little bit antithetical to what some of the other crypto companies are doing. You know, so we launched the first fully USD-backed stablecoin, True USD, when a lot of other people were working on algorithmic or crypto-backed uh, stablecoins. We launched um, TrueFi, which is an uncollateralized lending protocol. And so it's actually doing real loans to real-world companies that are uh, you know, deploying them with real businesses. So these are assets that we think you can really trust um, even during a crypto crash, there's things that make sense independent of any amount of crypto hype or lack thereof. Mm. Yeah. And, and it, what's what's interesting right there, what you mentioned, um, and, you know, I just want to get straight into the to the guts before we even dive into your background um, and how you kind of came into the ecosystem. But how do you guys successfully do uncollateralized lending? I, I think it was with some type of um, you know, whitelisting and 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 uh, sort of you know credit score for certain institutions, and then what? How is that different from how UST and Luna was collateral under collateralizing their stablecoin? Yeah. So the way that TrueFi, our DeFi protocol, does lending is it's a platform for legit asset managers to come on board and run their own portfolio so they can make underwriting decisions based on lending areas that they know well. So when you deploy capital on TrueFi, you can select from a variety of different opportunities that are on the protocol and you're putting your money 
with a legit asset manager who's going to be making loans and you're trusting that that asset manager has good underwriting procedures. So we see this as sort of a, a strong real world use case for blockchain and DeFi. But that's now, not like correlate. That sort of undercollateralized lending isn't correlated to the stability of your true USD token. That's correct. Correct. That's right. True USD is one of the, it's a stable coin that our company developed. It was one of the first fiat backed stable coins ever. And it is just one of a handful of different stable coins that are used for lending on the true five protocol. And really what we pioneered with the true, the true USD stable coin is a stable coin that is a hundred percent backed by us dollars in a bank account. You send in a bank wire to mint more true USD. You can burn your true USD and redeem it for a us dollar bank wire. So it's always one-to-one -one backed that has grown into a billion dollar stable coin. It's a very, very popular model with many, many competitors and uh, uh, other folks using that similar sort of model at this point. Uh, and that we think is a, it's a phenomenal, product that you can use as a way to you know, put your money in crypto, be able to participate in DeFi protocols, farm, earn an interest rate, but not be exposed to the high level of volatility that many of these cryptocurrencies have and um, not be exposed to some of the risks that you take if you hold an algorithmic or crypto-backed stablecoin such as UST, which I'm sure we're going to talk about soon. Yeah, and let's get into UST right now because I've got a conspiracy theory that I'd like to share and get your thoughts. Uh oh. Because when UST was attacked, uh, uh -huh. point one, it was an attack. It wasn't a failure of the system. It was an outright attack that was outlined and expressed as a concern on Twitter months before this happened. And the person who figured this out, you know, was saying it needs like a minimum $100 million to even execute. So it wasn't taken that seriously. Someone would have to really put up a bunch of capital at risk to try and take the system down. But someone out there decided it was worth it. Uh, and they put a plan in place. They did it. There's all kinds of Twitter bots that were activated, spamming the same, you know, FUD messages about it going on at the same time. But this happened at a moment when UST became the first stable coin backed by Bitcoin. Before, when it was just trading for the last several years with Luna, it was fine. No one, no one cared. It was left alone. But literally the exact same week that they put a billion and a half dollars into Bitcoin to back the stable coin, that was a huge step for Bitcoin in the Bitcoin universe, like a step closer to becoming a world reserve currency. You could even say this was the test net. And someone else out there, don't know who, said, this absolutely is unacceptable. Pull the trigger and bring this thing down. And with it, not only did UST come down, but Luna came down, took down Anchor, Star Atlas, the entire Terra ecosystem that was built around these tokens. And that had other ripple effects into other DeFi protocols. The TVL, the total locked value, you know, the total value locked in DeFi itself is down like 50% off the back of this. Has this hurt you indirectly in any way? And what was going through your mind as you're watching this all unravel in front of your face? Yeah. So, and and Aaron, for any of you, for any of the listeners here that are not familiar with this, 
you know, I think it's just important to emphasize the scale of the disaster that just happened. You know, this has rocked yes. the entire like crypto it. world. None of us have seen anything like it. The, 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 the reason why we're talking about it today is because this, this is a moment that is going to change the crypto industry for years to come. Everyone, including investors, including regulators, are looking at what just happened. And we're about to see a whole bunch of different waves of reaction, including probably increased regulation of stable coins, potentially increased regulations of DeFi, a lot more questions being asked by both professional investors and consumers when they start to use these kinds of products. So it really has changed the landscape. And the reason is because we saw something like $17 billion of quote unquote stable coin value, supposedly going to be stable, uh, wiped out in just about 72 hours. And like another 80 billion of speculative assets go to zero as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Luna and other assets as well. So, so tremendous losses, you know, uh, broke, broke trust with consumers and investors and many other folks in a way that a normal Bitcoin crash or ETH crash does not because everyone knows, okay, well, Bitcoin goes up, Bitcoin goes down, ETH goes up, ETH goes down, but they're not expecting, okay, well, UST, the stable coin stays at $1 for quite a while. And then is now today trading at, you know, nine cents. Uh, I just, okay. Seven cents. Right. That is what people do not expect. And, and that maybe is what three by the time this interview is over. It could be. So, so, so Aaron, um, pizza mind. I have, um, I have a lot of thoughts on what you, what you just said about the attack and about Bitcoin. And it's a very interesting topic. So while you can absolutely see this as a quote unquote attack, the nature of financial markets is that if anything is mispriced, then it is it, it is completely in a market participant's interest. You could almost say duty to quote unquote attack the asset and bring it closer to its true price. If it can and be broken, it ought to be broken. <laughs> exactly. If it, if it can be broken, it ought to be broken. And so the reason why Bitcoin today, even though lots of people hack each other's Bitcoin wallets, the, the actual Bitcoin protocol has successfully secured hundreds of billions of dollars for years and years and years. It's not because people were nice and were like, oh yeah, we like Bitcoin. Let's not attack it and steal the billions of dollars. It's because they couldn't freaking do it because it's so (laughs) damn solid. And that is the business that we should be in, Mm. building things that are so damn solid that you can put it out there and say, give me your worst. You try to attack it, The best systems in crypto are actually anti-fragile. You try to attack it and you end up just strengthening it. So let me just give an example. The way that fiat-backed stablecoins like TrueUSD and USDC are resistant to any sort of price manipulations is, look, if you you try to crash the price of, of TrueUSD, it's still backed by US dollars. And so any other market participant 
can take advantage of you. Cause yeah, you, you just tried to crash it. You're selling it. You're trying to sell it at 95 cents at 90 cents, whatever it is. Any other market participant can go and buy up that true USD at 90 cents, redeem it for a dollar. And they just made a free 10% on their money. So you are now, you think you're attacking the system, but you're actually just paying other market participants. You're directly paying them to bring the asset back to stability. So that's the way that a good anti-fragile system works. It has an tractor towards its correct state, which in this case is trading at a dollar, UST had a very local attractor that kept it stable for a while, but globally was fundamentally unstable. And whoever did this attack, it's similar to when George Soros broke the Bank of England. He made about a billion dollars in 1992 because the Bank of England was doing something that did not make fundamental financial sense in the way that they were trying to artificially peg the value of the British pound sterling as opposed to allowing it to float more freely. And so that's what was happening here. There was, there was a fundamental issue with the design of UST where it was only backed by Luna. And so it, those 18 billion UST that were in circulation really weren't worth $18 billion. And if people wanted to get out and try to redeem it for the, that Luna, Luna would almost certainly have crashed, almost inevitably have crashed. And so I see it as it was, it was really a fundamentally um, broken piece of game theory a piece of incentive design and that that some sort of quote unquote attack like this was really inevitable. And it was almost better that it happened now at the $18 billion size, as opposed to at the $180 billion size that we could have been in some additional months or years. So mm. that's, that's my high level take on it. And I don't think that them adding the BTC or other changes um, was necessarily a a trigger for this. I think that you know the right the right market participant just saw the right trade and took it. And I don't think that there's even anything ethically wrong with that because to a certain extent the the thing had to uh, had to face the consequences of how it was built. Wow, they they must uh, they must reap what they sow, as they say. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it was. <laughs> let me just say. Uh, I wish they didn't. I'll say that I wish they didn't do that because I, you know, it, yeah. but, 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 but on the other hand, you know, it, it, maybe it gets rid of the bear market a little quicker, right? You know, the, this sort of massive liquidation, extreme, you know, expungement of excess and irrational exuberance out within three days, you know, and they, boom, right. a lot of people got, you know, thrown out of the market. A lot of people are now scared out of the market and basically um, you know, lots of, you know, the worst has happened, but yet Bitcoin's still, you know, trading right around $30,000. Ethereum's still trading around $2,000. Um, exactly. you know, what, what, what's the kind of like the takeaway, like if, you know, putting all this in behind us before we dive into some more, you know, details about, about TrueFi and about yourself and about your beliefs of the future, what, what's the one main takeaway that we can collectively just walk away from this experience with? Well, I would say my takeaway is do stuff that makes sense. Mm. Do stuff, build products in crypto that have solid financial and solid product underpinnings that really make sense. And I think that there is going to inevitably be more and more focus 
from users, from investors, and from regulate from regulators on, you know, what is a real product with real fundamentals versus what is something that is more like just a farming protocol, farming other farming protocols, if you know what I'm saying, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, perpetual motion machines that you can build. And crypto is the wild west. That's one of the wonderful things about crypto. And people are always going to be creating those sorts of things. And that's okay. Um, I just think that the savvy investor is going to learn to be very careful where they put their money. Now, pizza mind, I want to I want to give the mic to you. There's probably a lot that I've said here that you're going to want to debate and and I'd love to hear it. Well, I you're not wrong on anything you said. Instead of debating, I've got a, a more questions cuz uh you're on the hot seat, you're killing it. Uh, your insights amazing. So, my next question is if you were the regulator, how would you regulate DeFi in a way that you see is fair and balanced and are you really coming with push the, the industry forward? <laughs> uh, and this is definitely a question we can edit. <laughs> but I was, I was just thinking about it, like, what would Raphael do? Like you, you're really at the top of the food chain in terms of doing things the right way. You understand the spirit of crypto as someone who really believes in Bitcoin. You know, the thought process from, both chairs on other each side of the desk, you know, where's, you know, and there's a lot of people in DeFi that are working with regulators to try and come up with these rules. Like this is a brand new blueprint for something that's never been built before. You know, give us a hot take. What would you do? What would you change? What would you add? What would you delete? How do we make wow. this a better place? How I'd regulate DeFi. Thank you for the easy question, Pizza Mind. <laughs> we'll, get, okay. we'll get to where you went to school after this, okay? <laughs> All right. So, um, wow. You know, look, regulators, honestly, I, I think by and large, regulators are good folks trying to do their job. And they are... They have a variety of different mandates depending on the regulator, but oftentimes it is to protect consumers and protect investors and to limit or avoid asymmetries of information, which can easily happen when you have people creating and selling new assets. So Aaron, the way that I would approach this is I would love to see more collaboration between regulators and the industry. There's been some of that, but not nearly enough. And a lot of regulators are still in the process of getting educated about what is really going on here and how they should be thinking about this in the first place. What even are these products? I work full time in this industry and it's it's difficult for me to, me to even keep up with the pace of innovation of what's happening in DeFi. You guys, I'm sure feel the same way. So if you imagine a regulator sitting in Washington, D.C., who might only spend be spending a fraction of their time on this, it can be next to impossible. And we just look at what happened with the Internet. Regulator, regulators decades later are still trying to figure out how to regulate uh, the Internet and software companies. So there's a huge amount of work ahead of us. You know, what I would put my focus on if I was a regulator is really how can we provide transparency and trust for consumers without limiting innovation? Because there is so much innovation in this space. It would be such a shame if the United States falls behind the rest of the world 
in crypto and in DeFi because of regulations that are too tight. I would hate to see that. Um, so I would really look at how can we how can we have transparency in what these products are? How can we insist on that kind of transparency and auditability so that users know what they're getting into, but still allow companies to build innovative products? And I think that when people get really pissed off is when they lose money, they're upset, and they feel like they, it was not made transparent to them what risks they were taking or, or what assets they ultimately were exposed to. So do you think regulation is eventually just going to look like a terms of service box that people mindlessly check and then enter the platform? Or is there really some level of, you know, accreditation or licensing that's going to come down the road that proves like you went through, you know, at least like a two week class in understanding smart contract risk and, you know, just even basic simple things like how to make sure you paste it a correct wallet address. You know, I think it's going to be, I think it's a yes and we're going to need a whole bunch of different pieces of the puzzle here. And even in conventional financial markets, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I definitely think there's going to be a lot of licensing that's going to come in. Um, my company, Trust Token, just announced a partnership with a major broker dealer to be able to do regulated securities issuance. Um, in the United States of some of the assets that are being created on our DeFi protocol, TrueFi. Congratulations. That's, that sounds huge. Thank you. And that's, that's you know, just one example of the, of a, the ways that DeFi companies like ours are working to make sure we can continue building in an industry changing, industry defining products like TrueUSD, like TrueFi, but at the same time, be doing those in a way that is completely compliant with regulation. And there's absolutely a certain amount of reading the tea leaves that goes on as well for some of these, for some of these areas like DeFi that are still uh, yet to be fully regulated. And just, you know, companies like mine are looking ahead and saying, okay, what do we see coming down the pipe? How do we make sure that we're being compliant, not just with the letter of the law today, mm -hmm. but with what really makes sense and working with regulators as they develop that more advanced regulation that's inevitably coming in. Yeah, one, one of the things I'm thinking about right now is just, you know, um, I just can't get my mind off the uh, UST blow up. And there were all these, you know, neo banks is what they're, they were kind of being referred to. I know Y Combinator uh, was funding a lot yeah. of them. And they were, they were kind of, you know, more or less promising, you know, 20% interest rate based on uh, anchor, you know, getting that yeah. fixed rate and then, you know, completely blowing up, right. And losing millions and millions of dollars to customers. And, you know, this Neo bank was kind of a cool idea. And a lot of people thought it was going to be cool, but it was clearly unsustainable. <laughs> I see you shaking your head there. No, it's just, it's so painful, Bryce, because, you know, these kinds of apps that give people access, easy access to crypto and DeFi are so important to right. be able to bring the benefits of this, this technology to millions of people globally, many of whom are not going to download MetaMask and buy a ledger and start signing transactions and inter interfacing with, with it directly. You know, it's going to be the technological backend. DeFi is going to be the technological backend to all kinds of products and services that will directly interface with consumers. But what you're describing with some of those neobanks, I, I read some of the same stories. It's so painful because, you know, a lot of these are, 
consumers who are are not that not that educated on our industry mm. and many of them lost a ton of money some of them their entire life savings because yeah. of this defi uh, and stablecoin blow up and i've i've heard about um suicides as a result of this which is just yeah um really really devastating you know people people in in such a difficult position by now, you've probably all heard about cryptocurrencies. Uh, you might already be investing in them. But did you know that you can invest in cryptocurrencies through your retirement account? Okay, yeah, that's exactly right. With iTrust Capital, you can buy and sell cryptocurrencies from a crypto IRA and get the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA. So iTrust Capital allows you to invest in over two dozen of the most popular cryptocurrencies. And unlike the stock market, you can buy and sell 24 hours a day. So the iTrust Capital Platform, it's super easy to use, and it only really takes a few minutes to create your account. And setting up an IRA with them is free, and iTrust has no account opening fees and no monthly fees. So look, it's time to start taking back control of your financial future. And with iTrust Capital, you can get all the tax benefits of a retirement account while investing in crypto. So sign up today and receive a $100 funding bonus when you open and fund an account. Just visit itrust.capital slash crypto 101 to start investing today. Again, that's itrust.capital slash crypto 101. Taxes and conditions apply, fees apply, cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment with risk of loss. iTrust Capital Incorporated does not provide legal investment or tax advice, and please consult with a qualified legal investment or tax professional. All right, on to the show. Now, now one of the things that's like, you know, getting getting UX and UI better, you know, you know, that's just like given, right? Everybody says, oh, of course we need better UX and better UI. But to your point, you know, nobody's going to be going through down, you know, not nobody, but you know, we're in our own little echo chamber here. We will download every crypto app and all that kind of stuff. But the the 99% of people out there just want a really easy to use application, a one stop shop. Um, is that something that like you could kind of see TrueFi doing just like a one stop shop DeFi application connects with your bank? If you want loans through uh, TrueFi, you could get it like that. If you want your, you know, a higher interest rate on, you know, different yield products, or or is that kind of somebody else's ball game? You know, we see that as more somebody else's ball game. Um, we would love to to partner with someone, and we do have some folks in the ecosystem who are working on things like that. But you know, the the core focus of the protocol is really on just being the protocol for doing. Un, un and under collateralized lending on the blockchain. We think this is the future of how lending is going to work. We think that trillions of dollars of lending happening off chain is going to move on chain and do protocols like ours. That's the core of what we're doing. And then the main thing we're building on top of that is actually an institutional platform to allow institutions from FinTech and TradFi to easily get access to this core DeFi technology. That's the main thing we're building on top of it. Now, bringing that ultimately to users is, as we just discussed, a very challenging and 
fraught initiative. It's important for eventually users to be able to get access to these kinds of DeFi products, but it is very tricky because you have to be very careful in making sure that you explain to some, especially to some of these less crypto savvy, less financial savvy users, all of the risks that they're taking. And of course, if you have a hedge fund on the other side who's investing in a DeFi product, well, you know, that fund is going to be much savvier about what's going on and much less likely to get upset later saying, oh, hey, I didn't understand it, right? These are often very, very capable folks. Can you kind of describe, uh, you know, just kind of the workflow on your um, your platform in terms of, okay, somebody wants to get a loan, who's on both sides of the, the party and how does it kind of just work? You know, how does it get settled out with with no defaults as well? Totally. So, okay. So, so, hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recorded. They're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one. With the three-in-one, you don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. brief overview of, of how TrueFi works and what the different sides of the marketplace are. So it's a protocol for un- and under-collateralized lending on the blockchain. So TrueFi primarily has what we call portfolio managers who come onto the protocol. They know a certain area of lending really well, and they then can raise capital on the protocol and then deploy capital in that area that they're an expert in. So 
I'll give you an example. We actually just last week launched a fund with a company called Chorus. So this is live on our site, app.truefi.io. You can literally go and get KYC and put USDC into the portfolio right now. Uh, and the way that this works is Chorus, Chorus goes to our community, says, here's what we want to do. Community holders and ultimately TRU holders take a vote, approve Chorus. Chorus gets live on the platform. Then USDC, anyone who has USDC and goes through the KYC process with the protocol can just put their USDC directly into that portfolio. And then Chorus will start making loans from that portfolio. And Chorus in, in this particular case is a company that has a lot of expertise in doing lending to financial technology companies in emerging markets. That's their area. And so they know exactly what sorts of companies they want to lend to. They're very good at setting the rates and the terms and managing the risk. They can handle defaults. So all that is, is stuff that Chorus is an expert in for that area. And so if that's an area where you want to have exposure as an investor, then you can put money into the portfolio. Chorus will deploy it out and you get to know that you've got a very credible manager uh, working for you. Now, you know, we are... We, we have several other portfolios in the protocol as well, and we're launching a whole bunch more. And our goal is to really cover in the future a lot of different areas of lending. So, you know, people, so, so bringing on asset managers that are experts in all these different verticals and then bringing those opportunities to our community of lenders who ultimately want to deploy capital into some of these markets. Does that make sense overall, Bryce? It makes perfect sense. It's like, yeah, I'm actually going through your site as you were reading that and looking through the Kairos fund and all the, the blockchain.com portfolio fund and the Alameda research portfolio and all sorts of different different funds. And it really does seem to me, um, you know, so easy for, for somebody just to go in here, get KYC'd uh, and, and contribute. It makes me think, um, you know, the banks, right, at the end of the day, this is what they've been doing for for, for decades. And you're taking that model and you're, you know, disintermediating the banks and kind of giving a direct access, you know, between a fund manager uh, and, and kind of, you know, any other person out there who meets your, your your accreditation standards and your KYC and all that kind of stuff. But do you see the banks kind of adopting this model? Um, or is this, you know, something that you are doing uh, and a bunch of other crypto innovators and competitors are kind of like, you know, uh, fighting back and forth for? Or is there already like, you know, banks that are doing this sort of blockchain-based lending? Yeah, so so we are talking with some banks. It's early days. Very few banks are involved in this yet because you know banks, just given the nature of their business and how they're regulated, they have to be very conservative. And so most banks are not touching DeFi at all today. We do think that's coming. We do think that this is the future of how lending is going to happen. And so the banks are going to be forced to get on board or they're going to seriously miss out. Um, and that's actually part of the part of the institutional platform that we're building on top of TruFi is really long term going to be working with institutions such as banks to bring them on board. But Bryce, that may be years out before banks really get involved. In the near term, you know, it's exactly what you're saying that this brings really exciting lending opportunities 
to folks who may not have had access to them before. And that's part of what's exciting about DeFi and crypto overall. So, you know, you were listing a couple of the other portfolios that we have. We really do have a, a variety of different types of portfolios. In some, you're getting diversified exposure to a bunch of different end borrowers um, in a certain sector or based on a certain lending strategy. In some, we have what are called single borrower portfolios, where you're getting exposure to a single borrower that is you know, just a really interesting opportunity where people may want to deploy capital. Um, so the example that, that you mentioned, the Alameda Research Portfolio, you know, it's a $54 million portfolio. Um, today, we just launched this, you know, maybe it was two months ago or so. And you know, this is a way that lenders can deploy capital directly with Alameda. And that really illustrates some of the power of this kind of technology, because if you think about someone like an Alameda, you know, what kinds of investors normally get access to deploy capital with Alameda? Well, it's probably, you know, really big hedge funds, really big trading firms might be able to write Alameda a $10 million or $100 million check, right? Mm -hmm. But here, because they're putting it on the blockchain in a portfolio, if, you're, if you go through and get KYC, you can deploy capital directly with Alameda, get exposure to this kind of, you know, very interesting lending opportunity that would otherwise be reserved for folks that can write these kinds of eight-figure, nine-figure checks that most of us cannot write. So that's really part of the power here. It's you know, opening up access to some of these financial opportunities that before were very limited. Wow, that's absolutely incredible. Uh, real game changer to be able to invest alongside huge institutions and really the smartest money in the space like Alameda. So thanks for building it, um, first off. And, you know, now Thank that we're you. in this situation where we're at in the market, um, you know, people are looking at what do we do in a bear market? How do we survive this? Um, I mean, my own personal opinion is this is a great time to do research and learn, see what the next big thing is going to be and become experts in these sectors and emerging markets like you were talking about uh, for the future, you know, two, three years down the road. And you just so happen to be an expert yourself in one of these things. Yeah. When you were going to college, you were a major in artificial intelligence, which is a sector that we've you've been closely following in the space. You know, Bryce is a big fan of Singularity um, and, you know, Ocean Protocol and stuff like that. When are we going to see more AI and crypto really kind of come to life? We've, so we see this huge bag of potential over there. What has caught your eye about this and how many years out or decades out, or is it ever going to come? And let me just preface this right by saying it wasn't Not just, financial advice. <laughs> let me just preface this by saying uh -huh. it wasn't just studying uh, AI at college. It was actually, uh, you know, working at Google brain, working at Palantir, you know, doing computer science at Stanford, like the best comp site college. So let's not, uh, yeah, it wasn't AI for dummies. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't AI for dummies. <laughs> I appreciate that. And I will say that technically Stanford doesn't have an AI major. Um, they have a computer science major, which is what I did, but I, I did take AI classes while I was there. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, pizza mind. Um, I'm, I also think that AI is a huge wave that's coming to the world. Um, and I do think that we are at some point probably within our lifetimes going to create superhuman intelligence machines that are that are for most if not all problems smarter and more effective than you and i and 
the the impact that that is going to have on our society cannot be overstated. It is it is I think going to be a a complete phase change for how our civilization works, similar to the agricultural or industrial revolution. And I think that there's a very good chance we'll see that in our lifetime. So it's an extremely important technology. I'm very, very excited about it, but also quite concerned about what might happen if we don't, uh, as a society, execute on this effectively um, and and really making sure that it, it benefits uh, all of us as opposed to um, benefiting just a few and, and potentially hurting, hurting many or, or most. Now, in terms of AI and blockchain, I will say, um, so far, I haven't seen that many major products that are at the intersection of the two. But actually, I did just in the last couple of weeks get some calls from investors asking me about one or two interesting AI blockchain uh, companies and just looking for my take on them. And um, it was really in the analytics space of you know folks taking data from protocols from cryptocurrencies and using machine learning tools to be able to generate insights. I do think that that's an interesting space, um, but I think that it's still going to be probably a, a while before we see a lot more overlap between the AI and blockchain spaces, uh, just because you know blockchains as a computing platform have very little compute and you know and can be used for extremely critical applications like financial applications but have relatively little compute uh, available to use and you know ai as i'm sure you all as you both know is one of the most compute hungry applications in the entire world and some of the top ai research firms spend uh millions or, or even tens of millions of dollars um sometimes to train even a single machine learning model so uh, actually doing ai directly on the blockchain is probably uh, not going to happen anytime soon. Super expensive uh, and, and super complex computationally and theoretically, but kind of kind of bringing things back, rounding things out. Um, you know, one of one of the the areas of crypto that I'm interested in as well is this idea of the real world assets, right? And there, there's you know a couple com- companies out there that are doing it. Uh, I think the biggest one that's doing it, you know, Centrifuge. They're kind of bringing on. Uh, accounts receivables and they're tokenizing a bunch of different funds and you know what you guys are doing as well is you know i think very similar but how how quickly can we grow uh tvl in terms of like real world assets because i think so much of the tvl that we've seen grow over the course of the past call it two years has basically been denominated in terms of stable coins ethereum um and you know, call it Luna, right? Which was uh, which right. we saw how that ended. So these real world assets are, are so much more robust um, and, and secure. So so how can we think about the rate of change of TVL uh, with these real world assets over the course of the next few years? It's a great question, and this real world asset to blockchain connection is what I and my team have been focused on for years now and we think it is huge so you know you can so so i think real world assets is a very reasonable way to think of the fiat backed stable coins so if you're holding a true usd or a usdc that is a cryptocurrency that is backed by a real us dollar sitting in a bank somewhere so so that's a token whose value comes from 
this real-world asset, in that case, a fiat currency. Same thing, if you're lending on Centrifuge, which I think is an excellent product, um, or on TruFi or on many other of these protocols, you know, that is something that's not backed by some crypto asset, but that is either it's a real accounts receivable, you know, the real debt of an actual company um, somewhere in the world that is backing a, a token that you're ultimately holding. So I, so I do think that that's huge. I think it's the, in my opinion, the single most exciting sector in all of DeFi. And I think it is the future for where DeFi is going to start to become really impactful for actual businesses that are out there, as opposed to just impactful for, you know, crypto trading firms and speculators and folks doing um, very interesting, you know, game theory and mechanism design experiments. And there's nothing wrong with that side of DeFi and crypto. I think it needs to continue and it's giving us some very interesting data. But I think that if you're looking for where are real fundamentals going to emerge and where is crypto and DeFi, going to genuinely change how the global economy works. I do think that it is in this real world asset sector that 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 um, Centrifuge and TruFi and TrueUSD and many other folks are playing. I was just looking at a platform that was doing uh, mortgages for houses using crypto as collateral. And it wasn't just Bitcoin, it was several different assets. And my first thought, it, it just rolled out, I was like, oh my God, this is potentially the worst time ever because you have crypto assets that, you know, are severely at risk of, you know, losing more value in a bear market. No one knows for sure, of course, but, um, you know, the long-term potential is still, you know, obviously everyone here still very much a believer and excited about crypto in the long term. But, uh, you know, we're also seeing more and more signs of the housing market slowing down and potentially that bubble bursting is, you know, the economy continues to retract. If you have, you know, that sort of model and the house becomes a tokenized asset, you know, how does, or, you know, what would, I guess the question is, what would a good way to be to stabilize that kind of collateral to make sure you don't just lose the value of your crypto, but your home would get margin called essentially, or some of these other real world assets could get margin called in this in, in the sense of, uh, you know, their value dropping. What are the kind of protections that a lender should have against that kind of situation? Sorry, I'm just coming up with all the good ones today. Absolutely. Well, well, pizza mind, you know, that is something that lenders have been studying for decades. And, and we can really draw on that experience. You know, people have been lending against real estate for a very long time and have figured out how to handle the liquidation of those assets in a real estate crash or in the event of uh, non-payment of that loan. And um, what you're describing is exactly right. You know, we can use DeFi at some point to be originating a significant fraction of US or global mortgages. And, you know, we should be thinking about DeFi not as a platform to be able to do more with your conventional crypto assets, but as a platform to be able to do more with your real world assets, such as your house. And, and at some point I would love to see all of us, you know, you know, if you're, if you're, you're, if you're buying your next house, because your, you know, crypto holdings go up, whatever, you know, you're, you're, uh, 
borrowing, you're, you're, you're getting the mortgage for that house um, using a DeFi protocol. Cause I think this technology really can, it can handle those kinds of financial transactions, trades, loans, all kinds of things in a fundamentally more efficient way than it's been happening. And for anyone who has, you know, gotten a loan or done any sort of transaction with a conventional bank, you probably have felt some of that pain of how slow that process is and have just seen, you know, there's gotta be a way, there's gotta be a way to improve on that process. And that is, I think, a big, big opportunity for DeFi. And that's what you're building. You're building the way. Just like building the way, (laughs) although we're building one piece of the way, because the whole point of DeFi is it's lots of building blocks that connect together Mm. and each one is just one piece of the puzzle. So yes, we are working on the un and under collateralized lending. You've got protocols work on over over collateralized lending. You have protocols worked on trading, all kinds of different protocols that are doing different pieces of the puzzle and each one just trying to do its piece as well, as efficiently, as transparently as it possibly can, and then leveraging the other pieces wherever it can and not rebuilding anything that someone else is already doing. And that's the way DeFi is assembling. And if we keep going, I think what we end up with is a really, really strong offering where DeFi as a whole can do everything or almost everything that traditional finance can do, but with way more transparency. And Bryce and Pizza Mind, you know, there's one analogy that I like to give. You know, so I, I bank with Wells Fargo. Where do you guys where do you guys bank, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah. Well, I use them all. <laughs> you use them all. Okay. I, I don't even they don't even let me in banks anymore. I've got a local credit union that doesn't know me. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right, with the credit union. Um, so here so here's the thing, you know, in my in my Wells Fargo account, I make something like 0.1% interest. Yeah. Right. And it's Damn, you're not, killing it. You're doing great. I think I'm getting 0.01. No, I think it's more. Yeah. I, think I'm, I think I'm making more like 0.01%. Yeah. I think I used to make more like 0.1%. Now it's probably more like 0.01. Either way, it's so small, it's de minimis. <laughs> and, and the reason why I'm making that teeny tiny rate, it's not because Wells Fargo is lending out money at 0.01%. No way in heck. They're lending it out at way more than that. It's just that they're not giving it to me. Right. It's going to someone else. And not only that, I have no transparency of that. I don't know what loans they're making. I just know that I'm not getting the upside of those loans. And part of the beauty of DeFi, you take a protocol like TrueFi, you take a protocol like Aave or Compound, you can tell, you can literally go look on the blockchain and you can see in real time, 24 seven, every single loan that this protocol is making and has ever made and the exact terms of those loans. And you know, as a user, exactly what fraction of the interest you are getting. And often you know, after many getting, of these protocols- the getting repaid as well. Exactly. You can see the status of all those loans. How many are defaulting? How many are getting repaid? All of that is completely 100% transparent, visible in real time. And you don't even have to trust the application developers. You don't have to trust Ave. You don't have to trust Compound. You don't have to trust me. You can literally see it all on the blockchain and know the, what's ex- exactly what's happening. And you know that you're getting, oftentimes it's 80 or 90% of the interest from those loans is directly going back to you as a lender providing mm-hmm. the capital. So 
That is an insane level of transparency. If you think about a bank like Wells Fargo, imagine if regulators said, hey, Wells Fargo, we want you to be more transparent. We're going to ask you to report every single loan that you've ever made and the exact terms of those loans. And we want you to do that going forward in real time, 24-7, every single loan that you ever make. That would be insane. You know, these, these <laughs> companies probably don't even have the technology that they could comply with that level of transparency if it was demanded of them. And that is- Fortunately, the, you do. Which we do, which, which, which yeah. is not just us. That is the norm in DeFi. That is the norm, not the exception in DeFi to have that crazy level of transparency. So that's the whole financial stack that we're assembling where every building block has- really high levels of transparency and trust. You can directly read the code. You can directly see the loans. It's, it's way more transparent than what's going on in TradFi. And that is the core engine that I see driving growth and, and working to bring more and more capital into DeFi as people are getting better rates and with more transparency and more trust. Of course, having, having to be very careful with all of the hacks, all the scams and so on that are you know reducing some of that trust in, in this kind of technology. So, yeah. Well, very well said. in the nature of uh, full transparency, I am a TUSD user. I am a right. TrueFi token holder for all the reasons uh, you mentioned. So um, there's that. And one other question I had for you is all this is built on Ethereum, which yes. is another very, very hardened system that uh, despite all of its issues has, has not broken. It's bent, but it hasn't broken. So do you have any plans to roll out on more chains like some of the other stable coins in this space have, or do you plan on staying Ethereum native for life? We do plan on rolling out on more chains. Um, so TrueUSD is already supported on a whole bunch of chains. I think like five or something. It's on Avalanche. It's on a Binance chain. It's on uh, Tron. Where else is it on? It's on, a, it's on a, a big pile of blockchains. So pretty um, much everything everyone uses, you can already find it. True USD, yeah, very wide. It's not on Solana yet. There's still some, some major chains that we're missing on the True USD side. Now, True Fi is a much more complex application because it's a DeFi protocol, not just a stable coin. And so True Fi, it is, it's much more difficult to roll out on new blockchains. And so it right now is still only on Ethereum L1. We do actually have a couple of layer twos on top of Ethereum that we are gonna be launching TrueFi on soon. And we're excited about those because those nice. are gonna massively reduce the gas cost of the protocol and allow for much smaller lenders or smaller borrowers to be able to participate and still have it make economic sense. And after we launch on those layer two protocols, we're then going to be looking at continuing to expand to other layer twos, as well as start to add some new layer ones. Um, but there's a lot of complexity there when you start to add um, you know, layer twos and even more so with layer ones, figuring out how to bridge tokens between them, yeah. you know, a lot of stuff that, that you have to figure out. Yeah. As an well, issuer of stable coins, is it easier just to issue a token on a native chain as opposed to bridge it or what's the best approach from a technical standpoint we've found it's easiest just to issue a token on a new chain so that's generally what we've done and so at least with true usd there aren't a lot of bridges 
from blockchain A to blockchain B, there's just a whole bunch of blockchains where we've issued the token and it's just very simple and clear. And we actually, uh, one innovation that we have recently done is actually segregated the accounts so that there's separate US dollar assets with our, with our banking partners backing the true USD on each of those chains, just to make it as transparent as possible. Oh, I like wow. that. Now, one actually, uh, one last question I have while we still have you um, is just surrounding the, the Ethereum 2.0 merge. And, you know, the merge, yeah. uh, a lot of people are talking about every, all of our listeners probably know about it. Um, if you don't look it up, because uh, we've talked about it almost every episode, I feel like, but I, I want to get your take as a founder of a DeFi platform that's almost exclusively building on Ethereum. How are you navigating? And maybe how are some of your friends who, who run other large you know, companies and protocols? And how are you guys navigating this merge? Are you scared? Are you super confident? Are you doing uh, anything to kind of batten down the hatches uh, before this kind of comes to fruition? Yeah. Can you remind me when the merge is currently scheduled for? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like end of August, early September. Okay. That's, I have that's, more conspiracy theories, but I'll leave that for another episode. Oh, I'd love to hear them. It's a little bit of a joke because the, uh, the Ethereum merge is just, um, you know, it's one of those things that is very one easy. One of those phantoms. Get, You're not really sure yeah. if it exists. It's gotten pushed not. back. It's gotten delayed pushed back five times. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a joke about the, uh, someone comes back from the year 2100, you know, through a, they develop time travel, he comes back and people interview and they say, wow, you know, Hey, uh, tell us about crypto in 2100, you know, what tokens are, are big. And so on. he says, Hey, crypto in 2100 is amazing. You know, Ethereum is about to come out with ETH 2.0 and move to proof of stake and so on and so on. So anyway, <laughs> you, you guys get it. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, our, our sense is, you know, I would love to have one of, um, one of my technical leads on this call as well and be able to have them comment on it. But um, my understanding is that, is that the DeFi protocols like TrueFi, stable coins like TrueUSD will continue working as normal are not gonna get broken by any of the Ethereum changes that are hopefully gonna, gonna come out in the next few months, um, but that this is going to make it um, easier to you know, use L2s to at some point um, roll out to shard chains that are going to be able to move some of the work off of the main Ethereum L1 chain. Um, so ultimately make Ethereum more scalable, lower gas cost, and, you know, bring, be able to access more users for a protocol like ours. So um, we're not too concerned. I think it's going to be, you know, a lot of good, good upside and, and progress for us and, you know, be able to reach more users, you know, we expect without actually uh, breaking anything on the L1. All right. Love it. Man, Raphael, this was a barn burner uh, of an absolute episode. We, we covered so much in this past hour. Thank you so, so much for, for spending a generous amount of time with us. Uh, hope you had some fun. My pleasure, Bryce. And, and you have <laughs> peace of mind. It's always great to be on with you too. We always have a blast. I'd love to do it again sometimes. Crypto is always changing. There's always lots of new, interesting things happening to talk about. Absolutely. You're one of our favorite people in the space. Definitely one of the good guys. And uh, we really support what you're building and what you're doing. Thanks so much for spending the last hour with us here. And we can't wait to have you back. But for now, that's it, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Crypto 101 podcast. We'll see you next week.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.